Well, Merry Christmas again. I hope you are enjoying this time of worshiping Jesus Christ, our King, our Lord. Um, I, have you guys been playing Christmas songs around your house? Anybody? A few of you? Some of you? Yeah, no, we've, we've got Grinches in the crowd. That's cool. That's fine. Uh, we know the story of Scrooge. Uh, we, we have been listening to Christmas songs some, and there's a wonderful playlist of Christian Christmas songs that are, that are really great. You can get it on Spotify, and a lot of those songs have such great, rich meaning. I don't know if you have a particular favorite Christmas song. Uh, some of you do. Some of you have been singing uh, godly Christmas songs for so many years. There's some that just that makes you think of Christmas, It makes you think of Jesus coming, and um, there's lots of different Christmas songs. This morning, we sang a particular Christmas song, O Come All Ye Faithful. I don't know if you remember that, uh, that particular song. Its Latin title is Adeste Fidelis, um, which that's one of the uh, early but not the earliest copies. Do you know this original song was written by John Francis Wade in the early 1740s? Uh, it was written quite a long time ago, near, that's nearly 300 years ago. And the only reason we have it now, we wouldn't even have this song. This was a personal song that just some guy wrote. This is before the internet. There was no way to mass, you know, throw this out there. The only reason why we have it is because there were seven copies found in a college in northern France signed by uh, John Wade. And, uh, and so it got passed around and people have been singing this song for nearly, nearly 300 years. Now... He originally had eight verses in his song, and we only sing four. If you look at your modern uh, you know, Christmas hymns, we only have four of his eight verses. Uh, back then, their attention spans were longer than 15 seconds. Uh, they didn't have devices, so they could stick through it. But, um, but they, it, it had eight verses, and it's so rich in meaning. If you go back and look at there's a couple of guys that translated it. Um, into, uh, what, into English. And so you can look at some of the words, but the very first song ever written about Christmas was written by a woman. And that woman was Mary, Jesus' mother. She is the first person to write what we would consider a Christmas song. It's called the Magnificat. It's uh, from the Latin word uh, magnificare, uh, it's the word magnify in Luke 1.46, or in our, so a lot of translations, it's the word exalt, to exalt, to magnify. Uh, Mary's song is so sweet to us. One, it comes from Mary, Jesus' mother. It's got that biblical significance. It's scripture. Uh, it's inspired by God. But uh, her song is uh, so pertinent to the Christmas story because it's full of praise and thanksgiving and faith in God's promises. There's this praise, thanksgiving, and faith that's so evident in her song. It's so beautiful. And uh, so it's read every Christmas season. It's similar to Hannah's song in 1 Samuel chapter 2. If you were to go back in the Old Testament and look at Hannah's song, who prayed for a son, she got Samuel, uh, great name, great name for a son. Uh, it, it, in her song, as she sings this song of praise and thanksgiving to God for giving her a son and faith in his promises which he fulfilled, uh, there's some similar themes in those songs. And this morning, we're going to look at Mary's song in Luke 1. 
And in her song, we can learn four reasons why we can praise God. Now, there's more than four reasons to praise God. But in her song, we can pick out, uh, out of some of it, four reasons we have to praise God just looking at Mary's song. So first, what reason do we have to praise God? Why, why would you praise God? In Mary's song, the first theme that seems to jump out is we praise Him because He is our Savior. He is the Savior. In Luke chapter 1, verse 46 and Mary said, my soul exalts, that word for exalts is in earlier translations magnify, my soul exalts the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. She begins with my soul. It's different than saying I exalt in the Lord. If you take it a step deeper, you would say my soul exalts in the Lord. The very depth of who she is, it's very personal. It's a deep personal praise. And that word for exalt is used eight times in the New Testament, and it just means to hold in greater esteem through praise and focus. So you, you focus and you, like a magnifying glass, you focus on something and you exalt it so that other people can see it. It's almost like when you enlarge a picture so that others can see what you're looking at. That's the idea for exalt. And so she begins the song as a song of praise. This is a song of praise that she's giving to the Lord that's meant to be shared with us. And notice that her rejoicing, which is not the same thing as exalting, they're technically different, and we talked about rejoicing a couple weeks ago. Rejoicing is whatever your response is to something that brings you joy. So when you rejoice, it could be a tear, it could be a smile, it could be a smirk, it could be some deep feeling, that's rejoicing. That rejoicing specifically comes after she exalts the Lord. She says, my spirit rejoices. That was after she said, my soul exalts the Lord. Then she says, my spirit rejoices. The root of rejoices means to, lip, to leap up. It's this idea inside of you that when something brings you joy, your reaction is like a leap up of that idea. That's the idea of rejoicing. And so my soul exalts the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. So it's a song of praise. We have a reason to praise and she ends that sentence, that statement with God my Savior. So she identifies God as her Savior and that's our first reason to praise. That Jesus is salvation is the centerpiece of Christmas. Now, there's a historical debate on what the word Christmas means. Most people take it back to the mass of Christ, like the, when the church, the universal church comes together uh, in that language, Catholic, universal, the idea of the church coming together and they have a service in which they lift up Christ. That's where a lot of people think Christ mass comes from. It also could come from just the, the words, it's two words put together, uh, the birth of of Christ. It could be taken that way. But either way, it's definitely about the birth of Christ and it's our celebrating together his birth. And so the centerpiece of Christmas is that Jesus was born in order to save us. That's the idea. Amen. Jesus came to save us from our sins. Or better, if you want to be more specific, Jesus came to save us from the wrath 
of God that our sins deserve. So in the Bible, you see it, even in the book of Romans, you see it written both ways. God saves us from our sins and God saves us from our wrath. That is really two ways to say the same thing. It's our sin that deserves wrath and Jesus came to save us from that punishment. And it's a just punishment. So the first reason we have to praise God is he saved us from that. He saved us from our personal sins, saving us from the wrath of God that our sins deserve. Is there any greater reason to praise? And so we lift up a song of praise uh, to him. Now think about a relationship you have with a friend or loved one. Think about someone in your life that is your friend. Uh, it could be a family member. It could be a spouse. Anybody that you feel really close with that you just, you just love deeply. Now think of that person. Now, imagine if that person saved your life. There was a life or death situation and they saved your life. Even though you love them and you, oh, how could my relationship get any deeper? Would your relationship feel a sense of depth that's deeper because they saved your life, right? Now, Jesus not only saved our life, like if someone saves your life on the battlefield, you're brothers for life. That's a brotherhood that, that never goes away. You feel like you couldn't be closer than anybody. Jesus not only saved our lives, he saved our souls. So when she begins this praise, my soul exalts the Lord, it's because her soul was saved as well. Mary needed salvation. She too was born with a sinful nature and sinned and needed salvation from the Lord. And so my soul exalts him. I rejoice in him, the Lord, my God, my Savior. So we praise God because he's our Savior. And we praise God because he is generous. One of the reasons, the second reason we praise God is he is generous to us. And you see that in uh, verses 48 through 49. For he has had regard for the humble state, or the humble estate, of his bondservant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Think about how generous God had been to Mary, because that's what she's singing about. It's a personal song of praise about how generous God has been to her. And it's, and it's very personal. She, she sings, he has, regard, he has had regard for the humble state of his bondservant, speaking of herself. He, he has regarded me. You know, in, um, in common language, there's a phrase that has been used many times. It's, it's very popular uh, in the world. It's, I see you. It's a person's way of saying, hey, I see the real you. I get you, I receive you, I listen to you, I see you. Now, if you're over 50, you're like, uh, as long as you can see, you can see you. You know, like that doesn't sound very deep. But it's meant nowadays, it's meant to mean something deeper like, I really get you and I accept you, I see you. When Mary says he has had regard for the humble, humble state of his bondservant, what she's saying is, he has regard for me personally in a deep, deep way. He gets me, he sees me, he hears me, he loves me, he knows me. And not only does he know me, but he has intervened in such a way that he has seen my humble state and he has acted upon it. 
She says, generations will call me blessed. Very personal, me blessed. They will bless my name because of what he's done for me personally and done great things for me. And it's plural. It's just not one thing. Mary's not saying, oh, that one time that Jesus did that one, or God did that one thing, he's done that one good thing for me. No, this is not someone that forgets all the things that God is doing. It's, it's meant to be, you have done many great things for me, multiple plural things for me. And so our praise will become richer as we understand how much God has done for us and how personal it is. So the two words to take away is personal and plural. There are many things that God has done for you, and it's very personal. Um, one time I was uh, just watching videos on YouTube. I was trying to, you, you ever have the time where you're looking on YouTube, you want to learn something? And I did. I learned something. You can learn anything. You could fix a garage, a car, an airplane, just watching YouTube. You could do anything on YouTube. Well, I was looking up a, a video and this other video uh, showed on my feed. And I know you got to watch those things. Don't waste your life just flipping through. And some of you are smiling because you've done it. I'm not perfect. I've done it. I've wasted an hour watching videos. I'm, why am I doing this? Just wasted my life. But anyway, uh, I saw this video of this old guy and this family and I'm like oh this looks this looks this looks cool this looks meaningful so I clicked on the video and it showed this guy that is probably a grandfather you know he's got that that look to him and his kids which are definitely parents of adult kids are with him and um and he's just walking through this parking lot and he sees this vehicle and he like lights up and he goes that vehicle is that, let me tell you about this vehicle. And he starts talking about the vehicle. And they're like, yeah, can you believe someone got that vehicle? And he's like, yes. He goes, isn't that great? And he, he, I forget exactly his words, but he said something along the lines of, whoever owns this, man, they're, they're just blessed. You know, it's good that they own it. I bet they're really happy with this car. And then his kids like go around them and the, the video's going and they pull out a set of keys and they say something like, grandpa, this is yours. It belongs to you. And this old man just starts crying, and then I start crying. So I'm like, oh, that's so sweet, you know. No one was looking, no one was watching, so it was cool. No one saw me, you know. No one saw me cry, so I'm still a man. But I was just weeping. I'm like, this dude got this car. His kids love him. I'm like, I hope I have kids that love me. Like, it was just so deep, right? It's just so meaningful. Um, he was so touched because it felt like a humongous gift and it couldn't have been more personal. This was the one vehicle, and it was probably made in like 1940. This is like an old vehicle. It was so meaningful because it was so personal and so deep for him. I bet if you were to sit down for 30 minutes by yourself, you can't have other people watching, you don't need that kind of pressure, but just sit down by yourself and start writing down the personal ways in which God has blessed you and loves you. And just start with the Bible. Just think of all the promises that he's given. Just think, just start there. And then think personally the way those have played out in your life. There would be a leaping up in your soul of praise to God. You would praise him. And that's one of the reasons we have to pray. He's so generous to us. So we can praise God because he's our savior and he's personally generous to us. And number three, he's merciful. He's merciful. We have a reason to praise him because he's so merciful. He's not just generous to you and me. He's generous to others. He's merciful to others. That's why Mary writes in verse 50, or sings, 
And his mercy is to generation after generation toward those who fear him. God's mercy is not just for Mary. Mary's song that the Holy Spirit inspired was not just about Mary. Now, it was primarily about Jesus. But the idea is, and he's merciful to generation after generation to all those who fear him. It's not just me. God has shown his mercy to the whole world, to people of every tribe and nation and tongue. God has been merciful to all. And so that's a reason to praise him. She says uh, in verse 51, she continues, He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and he has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty-handed. So you could probably tell through this that God has done great things. He's been caring to the poor and needy. I just want to make a, a, a reference toward the rich, him sending the rich away. Because if you live in this country, um, we're all rich. And so there's a sense in which, is this a poor versus rich thing? Like, are you more holy and more godly if you're poor, and you're not holy and not godly if you're rich? Now, there are some sly, false teachers that want to manipulate this, and I want to just show you quickly in the Scripture, using other verses too, this is not a rich versus poor idea. When there is a rich verse, when there is rich and poor mentioned in the same passage like this, in their culture, and their language, the way that it's used is really people that are needy and oppressed by others, and the others are always not called others, they're always called rich. The others are always labeled as rich. So when they're used together in the Old and New Testament, I have examples of both. The author uses the rich as those who are profiting off the poor and abusing them, like they're stealing from them. That's the idea. I want to give you an example in the New Testament because uh, the New Testament's the easiest one. In James chapter 5, there's a number of verses. I'm not going to explain them all, but you will get it as I read it. In James chapter 5, verse 1, Come now, you rich people, weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments have become moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have corroded and their corrosion will serve as a testimony against you and will consume your flesh like fire. It is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure. Now this sounds horrible if you have money. If you have money, you're like, whoa, I just want to get rid of all my gold and silver. That's not what he's saying. Keep, keep reading what James is writing. Verse 4, the next word. Behold... The pay of the laborers who mowed your fields and which has been withheld by you. You get that statement? Which has been withheld by you. So in the New Testament and the Old, when it uses poor and needy and rich in the same passage, it is specifically talking about those who are, they don't have anything. The reason they don't have anything is because there's this other group, which are always called the rich. doesn't mean everybody that rich is like this. The rich has withheld their payment. They're not paying them. They're not being fair and just. They're abusing them. They're using them. Which has been withheld by you cries out against you, and the outcries of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of armies. So the poor are workers, 
And these workers are not being paid. And instead of the Greek and Hebrew calling them masters and business owners, it just calls them rich to identify and emphasize the reason why they have money is because they're abusing their workers. That's the idea. So, who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of the armies. You have lived for pleasure, and you've lived for pleasure by stealing and not paying people adequately. Live for pleasure on the earth and live luxuriously. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and put to death the righteous person. So the rich in this context are qualified by those who have taken advantage of the poor and are even putting to death those who are innocent, meaning they're withholding from them and these people are dying of starvation and hunger and they're not able to feed their families and their, their brokenness and people are, the kids are not being taken care of. So when it uses rich and poor, it doesn't mean if you, have, uh, if you're, if you make more than $42,500 a year, you're rich. If you make under that, you're poor. That is not the way the Bible speaks about it. That's not the context. You have condemned and put to death the righteous person. He offers you no resistance. So this is not a passage condemning wealth, nor is any passage in the New Testament when it speaks of rich condemning wealth. It's not wealth that is the condemned part. It's how did you get that wealth and what are you doing with that wealth? That is where the rebuke comes. I'll give you an Old Testament example that's really easy. Psalm 35, verses 9 through 10. So my soul shall rejoice in the Lord. It shall rejoice in his salvation. All my bones will say, Lord, who is like you? So this is the context. Who's like you, God? There's no one like you. That's the idea. Who rescues the afflicted from one who is too strong for him. A lot of translations change the afflicted to the poor and the one who is too strong for him, the rich, that's how, they, that's how they identify them, and the afflicted and the poor from one who robs him. So to make this, and there's so many more verses, we can't spend a whole day on the theology of rich and poor in, in the Bible. When it uses rich and poor, it's not a dollar amount. It's how did you get that? And how are you spending it? And when it uses them together in a negative connotation to the rich, these are the specific people that are taking advantage. When Paul wrote about this to the Corinthians, he wrote the same thing. And Paul said, aren't it the rich who oppress you? Like, the rich are no good? Well, Paul's not against rich people. Luke, his buddy, was able to fulfill his history, his historian writing, because a rich man paid him. Uh, it's, it's not that wealth is bad, it's how did you receive it and how to use it. So, God is worthy of praise. Why? In, this, in Mary's song, she mentions the rich on purpose. God is worthy of praise because he's merciful to the poor and needy. He does not take advantage of you and me. He does not take advantage of us and, and abuse us and use us because he has more and we have nothing. He's so merciful that you who are powerless on your own, he gives generously to you and, and takes your humble state, takes you in regard to himself and says, I will bless you and be merciful to you even though you are poor and needy. And all of us are poor and needy in many ways, all of us. And so God is worthy to be praised as Mary's saying, not anti-rich, but the ideas of oppression he, God is worthy to be praised because he has been merciful even to those who the rest of the world would take advantage of, those in power would abuse, 
and God is not like that. God is not an abusive, powerful God. And uh, some people think that. There are some people that reject God because in their perspective, God is abusive. There's actually a parable in the New Testament where this one guy who receives talents, he just receives one talent. He goes and buries it. He comes back and, and God, um, uh, the master comes back to him and says, uh, hey, where's, where's my investment? Where, where's my return? And he says, I knew you to be a harsh man, so I buried it. He didn't know who his master was. He wrongly blamed the master. That parable is about non-believers wrongly blaming God for being harsh. But he's not harsh. He's merciful. And so we praise him for his mercy. And I know that was really deep. The rest of it's not as deep. Uh, So we praise him for his mercy. And lastly, we praise God because he's faithful. He is faithful to his word. He is true to his word. In verse 44, she says, He has given help to a servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, just as he spoke to our fathers. Just as he said. We praise God because he did exactly what he said he was going to do. He's worthy of our praise because he keeps his word. God keeps his word. He's faithful. Uh, Think of one way in which God has been faithful to you. How has God kept his promises to you? What's one of the ways that God has made a promise, you find it in Scripture, and he has kept that? That's something that you can sing about, that you can rejoice over and praise him for. Uh, If you could write a song of praise, which attributes of God would you include? So I'm actually going to give you 25 seconds, and I can see it on the clock. 25 seconds. I want you to think for 25 seconds... If you could write your own song to God, what is one theme, topic, idea, event, what is one thing you would include in that song? You have 25 seconds. I hope, I hope you had a chance to really consider uh, what a special Christmas gift it would be from you to Jesus if you could tell him, if I could write you one song, it would include this thing. That could be a gift. I've shared this with others. This has been a habit of mine for some time now. Every birthday of mine, I specifically ask God, God, can you, would you please do this in my life? And most of the time, it, it's dealing with, it with, with very, very one area of my life, if God would do something in my life. And every Christmas, I do the opposite. I pray and ask God in my quiet time, what is one thing I could do for you or give you next year? Not to earn his favor, not to earn salvation. It's not to earn anything. If there was one thing I could give to the Lord what would it be? And I pray that. And I ask the Holy Spirit, would you give me help? I'm clueless. What is one thing I could give you? Inspire me. Do something. Give it to me so I could have something that I can specifically give to you.
This year, we've had a friend write a song, which we'll get to. It made me think, I want to write a poem this next year, like a song. I can't sing, so I can't do a song. I can do a poem. I can rhyme, right? I've, I've, I've heard the hip-hop songs. I know how to rhyme. Uh, I want to write a poem to him, and I want to encourage you. It does not have to be a poem. Is there one gift that you can give to him this year and make it a habit every year for his birthday, Christmas time? I would love to give this to you, and you can, you can decide. Mary's song that she wrote was a song of praise that highlights God's faithfulness, his mercy, uh, his personal, very personal and many great things, that his, the fact that he's a savior. Mary's song was very personal. And some songs are really a corporate call to praise so that not just it's me praising God, but it's a call that we all would praise God. So every Sunday, we almost always, I think, sing at least one song that's what's considered a corporate song where we're singing it together. It's really about God and toward God, but we're kind of challenging and encouraging and nudging each other to praise God and to follow Him. It's, it's called a corporate, uh, like a corporate prayer, a corporate song to, to praise. And so I'll give you an example in the book of Psalms. In Psalm 34, verses 2 through 3, My soul will make its boast in the Lord. The humble will hear it and rejoice. Exalt the Lord with me. Join me. Exalt Him with me. Let's praise Him together. Exalt the Lord with me, and let's exalt His name together. That's, that's one of the many examples of let's sing together and let's praise His name together. And that's one of the jobs of the church. Uh, one of my favorite quotes uh, by an author that I've, I've really enjoyed reading a lot of his stuff uh, a guy, named, an author named John, he writes, he writes about missions and he writes this, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Missions is not our number one goal. Worship is. Missions exists because worship doesn't. The only reason why we have worship is because God is worthy of praise. His glory is our ultimate goal. God receives all the glory. Well, people won't glorify him unless they know him. They're not going to know him unless we go and tell him. So missions itself is not the ultimate goal. Worship of God is. So we are sent every Sunday. We have a sending. We're sent out by God to spread the good news so that others would co come to know him as he truly is. He is a faithful, merciful, generous Savior. He is worthy of our praise. And Kyle is going to come up and share a song with us. Uh, Kyle wrote this song. Uh, he wrote it himself. And he wrote this as a, as a call to corporate sending to remember the mission that we're on. And I'm going to let him take the stage. So many of you know that I was on sabbatical uh, this past summer, and one of the things I got to do is dive into to songwriting. And uh, I'm not—I didn't want to just write a song to add to all the other songs that are out there. But uh, I love the thought that that this is the huddle, that, that we're the church. We need to go be the church that God's called us to be, His ambassadors. 
and I've spent years diving into Second Corinthians chapter two through five, and uh, it's it's Paul's uh, defense of uh, being called into missions, being called to share the gospel, which we've all been called to. And uh, I struggled to find a song in all of song select all of the CCLI repertoire of of a corporate prayer that God would go before us, that He would soften hearts, and outside of these walls. He would be moving powerfully by the Holy Spirit and then powerfully through us that we could declare boldly uh, the gospel and that our lives, that our actions, that our words will all point people to Jesus and we can be part of that incredible reconciliation that God has made between us, between men. So uh, I wrote a song called Send Us Out and uh, this feels really weird <laughs> to, to share it, but uh, I'm hoping that we can sing it as an anthem and God will receive the glory, and it can be a, a prayer for us to rally around that God truly would use us as a church to reach the lost. So this is called Send Us Out. Go before us, open doors, soften hearts, remove the veil. Holy Spirit, we need your power. Without you, our efforts fail. Turn your eyes and hear our prayer. May our lives and words declare the gospel clear and truth prevail. Because we believe so we will speak because of your love the lost we will see send us out to the world we will go we'll proclaim everywhere so they know that jesus died that we could be reconciled to the lord set free send us out Send us out Lord, please lead us to be the fragrance of Jesus Christ among the lost In affliction and persecution We'll press on no matter the cost Our only this race and testify of your grace unashamed we'll carry the cross because of our hope we will be bold because of your mercy our hearts won't grow cold send us out to the world we will go We'll proclaim everywhere so they know that Jesus died, that we could be reconciled to the Lord, set free, send us out, send us out, because we believe, so we will speak. Because of your love, the lost we will seek. 
because of our hope we will be bold because of your mercy our hearts won't grow cold send us out to the world we will go we'll proclaim everywhere so they know Jesus died then we could be reconciled to the Lord set free send us out to the world we will go we'll proclaim everywhere so they know Jesus died then we could be reconciled to the Lord set free send us out send us out 